Well, good morning. How are we doing, Spanish River? Good to see you. So good to be with you here today. To those of you who are joining us online, welcome as well. We are so glad that you are joining with us. Hey, if you're online, there is a hand wave emoji. Would you give us a, a heads up? Let us know that you're there. We have hosts that are online. They'd love to say hello as well. Thank you again for joining us. As Lara said, my name is Brian Herring. I serve as one of the pastors here at Spanish River. My title is actually the Community Life Pastor. So I do oversee life groups as well as membership and other aspects of the church. And today we're continuing this series entitled Rebuild. We're looking at the book of Nehemiah. And if you've been following along with us, that started back in chapter 1. Nehemiah was a servant of the king of Persia. A Jewish man who had gotten news of the fact that his homeland, his city of David, the place of his covenantal people had been ransacked and destroyed. It was a crisis of faith for him. And he went to the Lord in prayer. From there, he not only rebuilt his faith, but he looked to rebuild the mission and rebuild the city. And today, we come to an aspect of that book in chapter 4, where we begin to see what it looks like to rebuild hope. See, Nehemiah and the people of Israel are going to start to encounter some opposition. And in that opposition, their hope will wane. But we're going to see how Nehemiah not only attacks this and addresses it, but how it is just as relevant for who we are and where we are today. Here, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together this morning. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, Lord, how good it is to be together and to be reminded of the hope that we have in you. Lord, as the old hymn says, we are prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love Heavenly Father, we are so easily distracted, and in that distraction, we lose hope. But Heavenly Father, may this be a time for us to be reminded, yes, of who you are and that you are trustworthy, to be reminded of where our true destiny lies. Heavenly Father, may your Spirit impart upon us that which we need to hear. Lord, to those who need to be encouraged, bring encouragement. To those who are in desperate need of salvation, Lord, answer their call. May you be glorified and honored by the time we spend together here this morning. Amen. Amen. So as I said before, we're in this title, uh, this series entitled Rebuild, and we're looking at the book of Nehemiah. And it's about the rebuilding of the walls around Jerusalem. And many of us in this room, I'm sure over the course of the last, man, like 10 months now, have at one point or another felt as though your life had crumbled around you, that there was rubble there, that the walls had fallen down, and you've been trying to rebuild it. There's been a sense of hopelessness or despair that's come over you, I'm sure at some point over the course of the last 10 plus months. Now look, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with this, whether there's COVID, whether there's politics, we're just people. We tend to struggle with this regardless, but COVID in the last 10 months, I think, have brought a little bit more of a presence around this. For me, I think my breaking point hit back in probably August. So for those of you who don't know me, or if we've not had an opportunity to meet, I am married to my wife, Taylor, for 14 years, and we have four kids. And uh, I heard a woo over there, yes. 
Hopefully a woo for encouragement and not like poor you. Anyways, we have four kids between the ages of three and nine. And life is great and it's been crazy. Well, we have been locked inside since March. And my wife and I had this phenomenal idea that we, we thought it'd be great to get a puppy. And yeah, so probably not the smartest idea we've ever had. Now, Jack is great. He's this beautiful little 30-pound mini golden doodle, and he's great for our family. But let me tell you something. In those first two weeks that we had that dog, all, all, good, all good feelings left in my life. When it's three in the morning and the dog is still in the crate yelping, and they've had an accident and then laid in it, and when you try to get them out of the crate to take them outside and clean them, they trudge it across your house, there's serious feelings of despair and brokenness that overcome you. Now, I say all that in jest, but I will be honest. I, there were some pretty low points and things that were said that can't be repeated here. But God is faithful and he is gracious. But there are, there are a number of legitimate things that have been despairing and that have been painful that so many people have had to walk through. Not only the isolation, but there are many people who have walked through grief and loss. Loss of loved ones because of COVID. Perhaps the loss of a career or a job. Perhaps the wedding that you had planned a year for was suddenly taken away. And there's this feeling of hopelessness. And there's this feeling of despair that comes over. And it's like, where, where do I turn? What is going on? Well, today we're going to be reminded. Because that is what we need. We need to be reminded of the truths of Scripture because we are so easily influenced and forgetful. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to be reading key verses and kind of summarizing what's going on throughout this passage. So follow along with us. It will show up on the screens as well. There's a handsome guy. All right. They will show up on the screens as well so you can follow along. Picking up in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1, we pick up here. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, Nehemiah records, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. So in the midst of the construction of the walls, opposition has come up. And it's not just here, but there are others. Tobiah, you have Arabs, you have Ammonites, you have all these different nations that are occupied within the area of Israel. And let me tell you, it is not good business for them that the people of God, that the people of Abraham, the Hebrews, would once again possess a fortified city. And so they begin to attack them, not only with verbal cues and verbal jeers, but also threats of violence. And in the midst of this, look what happens in verse 10. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. So after hearing over and over the jeers and the threats from the, these neighboring tribes and nations, it begins to get to them. They've been listening to it now for too long. And now they're not just listening to it, but they're repeating it. And so they're saying... The strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. There's outside voices of discouragement that are pouring down on the people of Israel. And they're not only listening to it, but they're repeating it. Paul Tripp, who's a pastor up in 
Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, who I like to read and follow, he says this. He says that there is no one in this world who is more influential to you than you are. So often when we think of influence, we may think of like an influencer on Instagram or some sort of athlete or movie star who has sway when it comes to marketing. But he would say, no, 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 the the greatest influence in your life is you. Because nobody has more access, nobody talks to themselves, nobody knows you as much as you do. You talk to yourself. Every morning that you get up, every night that you go to bed, as you walk to the mailbox, as you head to the grocery store, you are having dialogue. And what is it that you're telling yourself? Because that is what is influencing how you feel. And for the Israelites, they've been listening to this, and now they've begun to believe it and preach it to themselves, and they're falling into hopelessness and despair. So this uh, Christmas, I taught my four-year-old daughter how to ride a bike. I've taught all of my kids to ride a bike, typically around the age of four and five. But Lids is the newest one, and then we'll have one more after her. But Lydia learned how to ride a bike, and by far did it quicker than uh, her older brother or sister. And uh, she talks to herself a lot, and it's hilarious. We were at the end of the street. I had helped her turn her bike. She was getting good on the straightaways. And she got back on the bike, and I was holding her, ready to give her a push so that she could head back towards the house. And I, I hope I remember this for the rest of my life, but it's still clear as day in my mind. I looked down, I was holding her uh, by the seat and on her shoulder, and I couldn't see her face because of the helmet, but I heard her talking. And she wasn't talking to me, she was talking to herself. And all I heard her say was, you got this, Lids, let's do it. And I started laughing, like audibly laughing as I was pushing her, and she got distracted and was like, why are you laughing? And she fell. But she was, she was constantly pepping herself up. And now, like I listen to it, I go on bike rides with her and she's going, she'll go, literally, she'll go, you're doing great, Lydia, this is awesome. Hey, dad, how am I doing? You're doing great. Yeah, hear that, Lydia, you're doing great. That's what she does. She is preaching to herself that she can do this. Now that's in contrast to her older sister. Her older sister was the exact opposite. And I, she is great at riding a bike now, but it took forever to get her to balance on those two wheels because every single time we went out there, there was tears and there were the same words, I can't do this. And no matter how many times I told her, I'm here, I got you, we can do it. I know you can do this, you can do this. I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And it took her incredibly, incredibly so much longer than her sister to do it. But it's just an example of what are we saying to ourselves? How are we preaching to ourselves? How are we listening to what's around us, internalizing it, and then making it our own? Where is your head right now? Is it focusing on fear? Or is it an understanding of the rescue that you have in Christ? Is it caught in despair and hopelessness? or in the hope of an eternity with God himself in a new heaven and a new earth. Nehemiah addresses this. Look at what he says in verse 14. He's hearing the people of Israel now repeating this and despair and hopelessness setting in. Verse 14, look at what Nehemiah says. And I looked and I arose and I said to the nobles and I said to the officers, right? So he's sitting there and he's like, guys, he stands up in front of everybody. He's like, listen to me, to the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. 
If you highlight anything or underline anything in your Bible, underline those three words. Remember the Lord. He doesn't have some crazy speech, some beautifully eloquent uh, rally cry, right? He's not like, what is it, Teddy, Teddy Roosevelt, who has that speech, the man in the arena. If you've ever played sports, you may have heard that. But this like rallying cry for athletic teams, it's nothing like that. He just simply reminds them, remember the Lord who is awesome and great. Because we always forget. When we are being bombarded by all of these noises, when we listen to the talking heads on the television, when we spend hours and hours on social media and we are consuming the fears of others, we begin to preach the same thing back to ourselves and discouragement sets in. We all struggle from something called spiritual amnesia. Like I prayed at the beginning of this sermon, the old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's, that hymn resonates with me because I struggle with it, just like you do. Our former senior pastor, Tommy Kiedis, when he was in leadership here at SRC, he used to tell us as a staff often, and he would say it as well here in his sermons. He was a quote from Samuel Johnson. People need to be reminded far more than they need to be instructed. You and I know it, but we forget. We're distracted and we're, we're overwhelmed and we listen to all these other voices and they take over. And so here, here's, here's what I have for us today in the short amount of time we have left. I have two reminders for us. I have two reminders for us in the midst of this season of what seems like hopelessness and despair that there is constant battle against. As followers of Jesus, we need to be reminded of this and we need to hope, we need to find hope in remembering the Lord one and in trusting him. And two, we have to remember and find hope in where our true destiny lies. So let's look at the first one. We begin to rebuild our hope by remembering our God and trusting in him and his love. Sounds so simple, doesn't it? But here's the thing, we do, we forget it. I love uh, Psalm 33. It's a psalm that I have been reading regularly to myself. I've read it to both my life groups, my men's group and our couples group. And I've loved sharing it because it's such a picture of hope. In this particular psalm, I think it's probably David. Most commentators think that 32 and 33 were at one time one psalm. David is, is praising God because of the aspect of his creation. And he's pointing to the fact that, look, God of creation can be trusted. And he can be trusted because of his character. His character of righteousness and his character of justice. He is sovereign over all things. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, he says in Psalm 33. But then he goes on and he contrasts the trustfulness and the character of God with that of everything in the world. And he uses a military analogy, but what David will do is he will say, look, no king is saved by the might of his army. The war horse is a poor substitute, he says, for salvation. 
Right? So in the context of this, he's saying, look, even kings who put all their trust and all their hope in their mighty armies, it can't really supply what they need. You can see that littered throughout the Old Testament. If you read through the history of Israel, God is constantly overwhelming massive armies with smaller forces to display his glory. Ahab himself is killed in the back of a chariot by what the scripture says is an arrow shot at random. And his mighty forces fall. This is true for you and I. I don't know where you put your trust. Perhaps you've put your trust in that career. Perhaps you've put your hope and trust in your marriage. Perhaps you've put it in your kids. Maybe it's in a bank account. Maybe it's in a bottle. But whatever it is, you're looking for hope from that which can never truly supply it because our world is a world of constant change and letdowns and disappointments. And so here is where he contrasts it. Look in Psalm 33, 18 through 19. This will show up. Behold, he says here, after he, he, he shares about the king and his army. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Fear here is not a trembling. It's not being terrified and scared. But what it is, is it's expectancy. It's waiting. It's dependence. You could read it really as, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who who are dependent on him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That is the hope of a trustworthy God that cannot change. This is very similar to what we read in Lamentations. The prophet Jeremiah is writing a book called Lamentations, which basically is grievances. In the third chapter, at the lowest point of Israel's history, he is lamenting the struggles of life. He uses imagery as saying, it feels like my kidneys have been shot with an arrow. I grind my teeth on pebbles and rocks, he says. But listen to what he says. In Lamentations 3, picking up in verse 21, but this I call to mind, he writes, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The psalmist is picking up the same exact language, the same exact attitude. He is reminding himself and he is reminding you and I that the eye of the Lord is on those who wait for him, whose hope is in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death. If there is no greater sense of despair and hopelessness amongst humanity, it is that of the problem of death. What hope is there when every single one of us in this room, except for the Lord's coming a second time, will not have to deal with death? In my role in being a pastor pre-COVID, I haven't done this since, but I've spent many times in hospital rooms with people who are dying. And I've talked with people who are who are overcome with despair and hopelessness when the realization of their death becomes real. And they fight with everything in their being to avoid it. And I've sat in rooms with people who have told me, noticeably, like, okay, this is it, but I am ready to go home. In preparing for a funeral a number of years ago, 
I came across this story of a young pastor whose wife had passed away and left him as the sole caregiver for his six-year-old daughter. Dealing with the grief himself, he was, he, was, he was overwhelmed with the fact that despite all of his theological training, despite all of his pastoral ministry, he could not deal with the grief that his young daughter was dealing with. One day while him and his young daughter were Walking through the city, they came to a curb, and as they were waiting for the traffic to stop so that they could cross the street, a giant semi drove past them. Loud, and it was big, and it pushed the air into them, and it cast a shadow over them as they stood on the curb. And this little girl was frightened by this, this loud truck that drove by, and she grabbed his leg, and so he picked her up, and he said, Daughter, are you okay? And she said, Yeah, it was just scary. And it was in that moment that he knew how to, how to comfort his daughter. And he said to her, he said, Daughter, when that truck rode by, is it better to have been struck by the shadow of the truck or to have been struck by the truck itself? And the little girl looked at her dad and said, Dad, so much better to be struck only by the shadow. And he said, My dear, precious child, when your mother passed away, her taste of death was only but a shadow. For Jesus himself took the full brunt of death and being hit by that truck. The trust that we have in the God that we serve and that we need to remind ourselves of is found in the gospel. Death is the consequence for our sin. Our hopelessness, our despair, our anxiety, our fears are evidences of that. But our sin is so much more than just that. Our sin is cosmic treason against a holy and righteous God who is just and will punish it, not only in our physical deaths, but in an eternal death separated from him forever, as well as a spiritual death. But oh, how great is our God. And how much can we trust him in when we were lost in our sin he rescued us. That our soul might be spared from death, that we might be kept alive in famine. God himself coming to earth in the form of a man, the person Jesus Christ. God in human form, walking among us yet without sin, willingly and obediently going to the cross, taking sin and death to its full extent on himself. So that those who acknowledge their sin, who confess it and place their trust and their hope in Christ alone, not in themselves, not in their abilities, not in what they can achieve, but only what Christ has been able to achieve, is true salvation found. And the beauty of all of this is Christ didn't stay dead. But rising to new life, that is the hope that we have. The hope is that no, no, sin has been defeated, yes, but so has death. And that leads us now into our second thing to be remembered, which is this. We rebuild our hope by remembering our future and having confidence in our final destiny. Christian, be reminded that this is not your home. Be reminded that you live in a home that has busted pipes, that has poor electrical, that is falling apart around you. 
But you have been promised something so much more. In the book of Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John records the words of the Lord and he writes this down in verses 3 and 4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. This is not us going to God. This is when God returns, when Christ returns, and he makes all things new. This is where we will dwell. And he will dwell with us here. That's amazing. That's your hope. But it goes on. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. There is no more sin when all is said and done. When the curtain closes I was, yeah, was going to say, when the fat lady sings, I don't know if that's, is that still okay to say? Anyways, when it's all said and done, this is our destiny. I said it, so whatever. Um, Tim Keller has a quote. He was a pastor up in New York City. He says, the way that you live now is controlled by what you believe about your future. Hear that again. Hear this. The way you live now is controlled, is influenced by what you believe about your future. If you truly believe that this is not your home, if you truly believe that the work that you do here will pass away, but that there will be something new, and that there is a hope of no more death and no more sin, that there is a hope of no more diseases, that there is a hope of no more civil unrest or political discord, because God, as our King, will rule here, who is perfectly just and perfectly righteous, that begins to influence how we live now. When I was a teacher, I taught middle school for a number of years, and I had a problem. It was, I took care of it, but there was a problem with... Kids, you know, kids are crafty, man. I was one once. I get it. They like to cheat and try to get away with stuff. So I had a rule during exams that you were not allowed to say a word. If you so much as sneezed, you got written up. That's an exaggeration, but you get where I'm going, right? So sure enough, there was the quietest, most sweetest girl in the class. I think she said three words the entire uh, year, and two of them were during an exam. <laughs> And so I was like, hey, I need to see you after class. I was like, man, why can't it be like the goofball who sits up front? All right, we're going to do this. But I'll tell you what, and other kids got, got referrals and got written up as well. But it was a hard and fast rule that I stuck by all the years that I taught. And let me tell you what, when they got it in their head that this is the consequence for that action, it influenced how they acted in the moment. Are you tracking with me? They knew, okay, if I do A, B will happen. So therefore, it influenced how they lived in the present. Christian, you are no different. You know the end result. You are told that throughout the scriptures. And how does that influence how you live now? Not as a people who are constantly in despair or who are hopeless, but no, a people filled with hope that they want to go and share that hope with others. If that is our destiny, don't we want everybody outside these walls to know the same hope? Don't, aren't we desperate that they come to the same knowledge of their sin and their need for Jesus Christ? 
Oh, Brian, they may think I'm weird. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> Is that the end result greater than that? It needs to influence who we are. So remember this, and this is my encouragement to you today. There are so many voices right now. The talking heads, family dinners, social media. And the problem is we've begun not just listening to them, but we've begun repeating them. And it is influencing our own hearts and our own souls, and we are forgetting that God is truly sovereign and trustworthy over even this, and that this is not our home and our end. Remind yourself of that often. Read through the scriptures often. Meet with your life group often. Come to church often that you may be constantly reminded of that which we forget. But there are others of you in this room. There are those of you who have not placed your hope and your trust in Jesus. Jesus maybe has always been a good teacher or maybe he's been just church has been that thing you go to for a while to help you get through a moment or two or perhaps you've just shown up because. Where is your hope? Is your hope residing in your grades? Is your hope residing in that next promotion? Is your hope residing in your spouse or in your kids? Is your hope residing in your own abilities? The psalmist is very clear, and if we're 100% honest with ourselves, we can say that none of those things will truly, truly be able to deliver or be able to be trusted the way that God claims that he can be. And if you're ready to take that leap, if you're ready to say, yes, my sin is real, my hope has been, my trust has been misplaced, my hope is fleeting, I need the hope, the forgiveness, the life that Jesus offers, would you do us a favor and text the name Jesus to 474747? We want an opportunity to pray with you. We want to get to know you. We want to encourage you and remind you of how amazing, not just Jesus, but the God of the universe, your creator, your savior, your king is and all that he has in store for you. Let me pray for us and the worship team will close us out. Heavenly Father, Lord, how prone are we to forget? Lord, countless hours we'll spend listening to everybody else but you. Lord, I am guilty of this. Forgive me. Lord, forgive us as a people. Forgive us for our misplaced trust, our lack of hope. But Lord, remind us. Impress upon us, much like Nehemiah, do not be afraid. Remember the Lord, for he is great and awesome. That is our hope. Lord, may that be a hope that infuses every part of who we are. May it be evident to a world that is searching for real hope, that they would see it in us and believe. Heavenly Father, to our Creator, 
our God, our King, and our returning Messiah. In all of these things do we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.